You're listening to the Finding Unique Value Podcast with Jay Sparks. Hello, this is Jay Sparks, your host of Finding Unique Value, where I interview business leaders that have found unique value in their businesses or industry that others have not yet seen or explored. And today I'm excited to be joined by Dr. Patrick Ancatil from France. So he is a Parisian by birth and a Bostonian by choice. So we get to claim him too now. Um, he's a CEO and co-founder of Portal Instruments, which is currently working on a needle-free injector. He's also co-founded two other companies and also worked in similar fields. And this success in business and science is not surprising seeing that he has an equally impressive educational background, which includes a master's degree in nanotechnology from the University of Tokyo, a uh, PhD in mechanical engineering from MIT, and he's also a graduate of Harvard Business School. So I'm looking forward to understanding from Patrick exactly how he sees value through his science and business lenses. So with that, welcome to the uh, welcome to the podcast, Patrick. It's, it's great to be speaking with you. Thank you, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here, and, and thank you for the kind invitation uh, for yeah. us to be here. Great, great. Well, you know, I, I really can't do your your uh, accomplishments justice, and what I said was was uh, just skimming the surface. Could you please just take a minute and give us, uh, you know, kind of your your, your background, and any detail that you think would help us give some some context, and then we can talk about what you're, you know, what you're, yeah, what you're sure. doing. Happy to do that. So I think I was always fascinated with machines and with mechanics. Uh, and so uh, when the time came to do universities, I enrolled basically at the university um, in Zurich, actually. The, um, Zurich has a, uh, a school much like MIT. It's called the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. Uh, the German acronym is ETH. Uh, and so enrolled there. And, and basically, uh, you know, did my studies there, focused on nanotechnology at the time, which was quite unusual because very few uh, universities actually were offering it as, as, as a course. Uh, then actually uh, decided that the, at the end of my master's, which as you said correctly, I did at the University of Tokyo, well, you know, uh, was this the end of my studies? And I felt I wanted to pursue uh, more uh, in that uh, search of knowledge and so enroll at MIT to do a PhD. Um, when I came to MIT, which was about 20 years ago, uh, I'm dating myself, I suppose, a little bit here, but uh, <laughs> it was in the middle of the dot-com boom. Everyone was starting a company left and right. And that actually <laughs> changed the course of my life. Uh, because fast forward 20 years later, uh, not only I'm still in Boston, I've started three companies. Uh, and in fact, believe it or not, my first job was actually not even in, in engineering. It actually was in, in finance. And then, as you said as well, uh, eventually ended up uh, enrolling at, at Harvard Business School uh, to kind of you know, gain all, all necessary business skills to start businesses. Uh, and uh, and now I'm at my third uh, my third company. Uh, and you're right. So I uh, I was born born and bred in Paris, uh, but now really truly Bostonian and, uh, and and love it here. I cannot imagine being anywhere else. Wow. No, that's a. Uh... That's incredible. Well, there's there's um, you know uh, hundreds of questions in what you just you just described. But wh why don't we start with with um, with where you are now and, and and why you decided to to start the uh, the, the current company that you're uh, that you're working on? Sure. So there's uh, so so the entrepreneur always looks for uh, an area or a field that's overlooked or an application that's overlooked, uh, but very very relevant. And so, and so here in our case, 
there, there was actually a couple of things that happened. So, so there's there's two ways actually to start companies, and uh, and and I don't think one is better than the other. Uh, so one is to start with a big market and to figure out, hey, you know, can I find a solution to address the problem in the market? Uh, or the other way is that there's some cool tech that's been developed somewhere and you try to find a market. Uh, I think the latter one is happens more often. Uh, sometimes it has a bad reputation because, again, the, the business folks feel like, hey, you know, if there's no application, what value is there really in that technology? Uh, but I think oftentimes, you know, the uh, scientific discoveries and engineering work happens for pushing basically a certain area uh, further and may not have directly an application. And so anyway, so we, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think, I think because many years down the line, whatever was invented and discovered ends up being actually used somewhere. It happened all along, uh, in fact, in, in, in the area of physics, for example, mm-hmm. uh, you had the theory typically is like decades ahead of the practice. Uh, even, uh, I think, uh, in, in this uh, this past year, of Einstein's prediction finally uh, were able to be measured. So anyway, so I don't think there's any bad way. So, so in the mm-hmm. case of Portal, um, there was a technology at MIT uh, that actually, believe it or not, my, my former PhD advisor had been working on, and he kind of, uh, you know, called me uh, one day and said, hey, you know, Patrick, I have this, uh, this really cool technology. It's ready for prime time. Uh, it's got someone attached to it that wants to fund it, and so you should take a look at it and you should help me start a company. Um, mm-hmm. And what's interesting with the, this technology, it's, it's basically uh, an injection technology to inject needle-free, so without a needle. Um, and what's interesting about it is it's a, it's a platform technology. You can inject anything, anywhere, anytime. Uh, and, and really the first thing you have to do then as, as the business person, uh, once of course you've understood the technology, its limitations, its benefit, is to narrow it down to a very particular application. So that's what we, we've done. Uh, we realized that in a field of injections, there was a huge unmet need for patients with chronic diseases who needed to inject themselves on a chronic basis uh, with a biologic. A biologic is a drug uh, that's typically an injectable um, and in terms of volume being injected, it would be about you know doing two to three vaccines back to back. So huge unmet need uh, in that everyone hates needles. Uh, those injections are very uncomfortable. Uh, and then also um, the injectate uh, tends to be very viscous. And so uh, patients need to be augmented in some ways. Uh, mm-hmm. This is where we could help basically having the full package uh, with a device that's needle free, uh, that actually augments the patient. And then basically they can go on with their life uh, once they've done the injection. No, well, I, I can see how uh, the patient would love this, right? Particularly if you if you have some sort of uh, aversion to to needles. But why um, why were you, why is your company able to solve this, and and no one else has been able to solve this yet? Because it seems like it would be a you know we've had this technology probably for for a while. What, what did you do differently over the last couple of years? Jay, that's a great question because it's actually really an interesting uh, an interesting response there. So. People had been trying to do this for literally decades. Um, uh-huh. So let me describe how it works, and then I'll go back into history as to what people did yeah. and, and why it worked or didn't work. Um, uh-huh. So here's the idea. You basically pressurize the drug, and then you let it flow through a very fine orifice, uh, like a, a nozzle, basically. Yeah. As a drug uh, flows through that nozzle, uh, there's a very fine jet uh, that gets created, uh, and, and that jet travels, of course, because of the pressure, it travels, travels uh, at, at high speed. Uh, to give you a sense, the size of the jet uh, is, is a third of the diameter of a typical needle. So it's very, very small. It's also oh, wow. very, very fast. 
uh, and basically as the uh, jet of drug uh, touches the skin, it basically creates enough pressure that the drug actually ends up going through the skin uh, and, and into the subcutaneous space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it's pretty cool. It sounds completely out of Star Trek, uh, but <laughs> actually uh, the, the physics of it is, is, is actually quite, uh, quite simple. Um, the challenge was that no one could make it work. Uh, so mm-hmm. the original idea came in the 30s. Uh, people were playing with hydraulic lines. Uh, in those yep. lines, sometimes invariably there'll be a uh, like a, a leak, like basically some uh, some oil just squirting out. Uh, yep. Some folks would try to put their thumb to actually uh, you know close the hole, and then they would end up with a bit of oil into their thumb. Oh, uh, that's yeah. how You could do a drug delivery system like that, and, and that would be cool. Uh, and so people <laughs> have been working on this. The, the challenge comes in the following, in, in how you control the jet through time, mm-hmm. and also how you shape the jet. Uh, it's actually very hard to shape a jet in the form of a laser beam, like, like very, very collimated, like, like a straight line. Mm-hmm. If you don't do that, you have no efficient injection. And so people yeah. didn't know actually the physics of that and how to shape that. Uh, and then the second point is how do you control the jet such that you have always, uh, at any given time, uh, you have sort of the optimal parameter in terms of, uh, of velocity uh, to continuously, you know, sort of push the drug uh, into the patient. The amazing mm-hmm. thing is the following. So in our case, we're actually using a computer control system. So mm-hmm. the device measures how much has come out. It compensates for any variation of the uh, viscosity of the drug, for example, or any other physical parameter. Uh, and you always end up with the same injection. And here's the, the, the most interesting thing uh, is that, uh, Typically for biologics, you end up with very large volume that you need to inject, like two to three times the volume of a, a vaccine. We do that injection uh, in about 0.2, 0.3 seconds. So boom, it's done before you've even realized uh, what's happened and you can go on with your life. If you were to do this with a needle and syringe, it would take you at least uh, 10 seconds to do that. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's incredible. So um, I don't understand the physics well enough to ask a uh, uh, a detailed question on that, but I assume that all of this is already um, patented, so you don't have to worry about uh, about that, and you um, have the right uh, FDA approvals. Is, is that already part of the process, or is that still something to, to come? Correct, yes. So in terms of patents, you, you're right that in, in this area of biotech or medical devices, mm. where there is a need of tremendous amount of capital to basically yeah. uh, move the project along, uh, you need some form of protection, right? You, you don't want to yeah. create something and then have someone steal it from you. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so patents become one way to actually protect that. Uh, so we've, um, uh, we've basically assembled a portfolio of about 100 uh, patents and patent applications. So everything you can think about the device from its shape to how it works uh, to some design features. Uh, all of that is basically patented, and um, and a third of that estate basically comes from MIT. So we took a, a license from this this laboratory at MIT uh, okay. that's exclusive worldwide, uh, and so we're able to basically uh, you know some, some get some of the similar patents, uh, and then we've built down on that and, and added the other two thirds of, of patents on on top of that. That's incredible. So you know, and, and you spoke about you know kind of one of the things that 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 kills a lot of businesses at this stage, right, is, is the capital. So how were you able uh, to to raise that? And was that a you know a you know a, a full time job for you at, at some point, like it is for some uh, some CEOs and, and founders, or is this something that was set up in advance? You had a you know a source 
uh, private equity or some other source that could uh, that was willing to uh, fund this? That's a great question. So fundraising and making sure that there's enough capital is kind of the only job of the CEO or the founder, right? When without capital, you cannot do anything. Yeah. Uh, conversely, if you're not able to raise money, then you're not in the right place, right? You're not in the yeah. right job. Um, and, and interestingly, I think uh, fundraising is probably the hardest thing that you can do um, mm -hmm. because, you know, it's very intellectual. Uh, you're trying to convince another human being Oftentimes, just with a, an idea, a PowerPoint slide, or, or, or yeah. maybe some form of, you know, very rarely do you actually even have a prototype to actually show. Yeah. But they should, uh, you know, depart with their money, uh, their hard-earned money, and basically in, invest it in, into your entity uh, because there is maybe a greater prospect uh, for growth of, of that of that capital. So it's, I think I think it's very very hard. Yeah. Also, conversely, there is no school. Um, there is no way you can learn it from books. You, you basically learn by doing. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's where actually being in an environment like San Francisco or here in Boston uh, puts you at a tremendous advantage because there's so much capital that's around and there's also people there uh, who are there who can actually uh, you know, kind of show you the way. Uh, and in my case, I was very fortunate. My, uh, one of my mentors uh, is a gentleman named uh, Stan Lapidus. Uh, Stan is sort of the legend in, in the diagnostics field here in Boston. Uh, mm -hmm. started a company called Cytic uh, in a pap smear. Uh, area so the old, old medical diagnostics company then did exact sciences that kind of had a rebirth and is, is doing fantastic uh, did then helicos and then together with him we did synaptics uh, which mm -hmm. was a company uh, doing genetic testing in a field of autism trying to detect uh, early onset of, of autism and, and really help families basically uh, you know address the needs of, of, of those kids actually very, very early on so so fundraising is harder uh, you do it by practice, and, and there's never enough. And so let me yeah. <laughs> uh, tell you it's a funny anecdote because, as I mentioned, you know that project actually came attached with someone who wanted to actually even fund the. There was a strategic investor wanting to actually fund that entity because they had sponsored some research at MIT. So I thought, gee, this is the best scenario possible. You know, you're gonna we're gonna raise uh, you know 20 million dollars in two months, and off, yeah. uh, we can go and build stuff. It actually yeah. took us a year and a half with that investor to actually uh, get it done. And we only raised half the money and we had to bring in yeah. two other investors to actually get to that point. So it's wow. always hard. I wish it were simple. And, and if, if anyone has had great stories uh, um, uh, and, and great, or great advice like, on how to do that, I'm always happy to, to learn because I, I do think it's, it's the hardest thing. But eventually, if the venture has some promise, eventually it does get done and, and then you yeah. can go on and, and build things. Yeah, well, I, I think this is your engineering background, right? You're just a problem that you can figure out. You just got to keep, you know, changing the variables, right, until you get the right the right combination. But um, but that leads to me to my next question because I was watching, uh, you know, a quick uh, interview you did, and I was kind of surprised. I wasn't uh, surprised by the question, but I was surprised by your answer, given your background. And and the question was uh, essentially, you know, what's the kind of what's the what's the most important thing about you know starting a a business, and you know, given your um, you know intellectual background, academic background, I, I was assuming you know many times someone in your position would talk about either um, the uh, the education, right, and having the knowledge, which was is rare. And again, I was telling you earlier, I think you're the only person on the planet that has your specific <laughs> educational background because it's so unique, right? So you know that alone is just a tremendous asset. Or you also have this unbelievable experience, which is also unique. And I don't think there, you know, there may be a handful of people in the world that have your your uh, your experience. But your answer wasn't either one of those. <laughs> it was something completely different. Do you remember what your what your answer was? Or, 
It was. Well, I think uh, everyone, everyone has their own unique, their own unique background, right? And I think one yeah. thing leads to another, and mm -hmm. and you try to do your best. And I think I think I was very fortunate that. So first of all, when I started, I had no idea. When I was a, a late teenager, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. Even engineering mm -hmm. to me was kind of a foreign concept. I mean, my my father certainly was also an engineer. Uh, yeah. Influenced me greatly. Said, "Your Patrick, you should do, you should do engineering." <laughs> but I had no idea what it meant actually, because I was observing. Yeah. He wasn't doing engineering. He was actually yeah. more like an engineer than business person and so on. But then I was, I was very fortunate that I think uh, I really found my calling uh, yeah. when I went to engineering school. What's great about schools like the ETH in Zurich or MIT mm -hmm. or Stanford uh, or other, you know, great engineering school. Uh, is that they combine both the theory and the practice, and you really need that. And I think one mm -hmm. of the things that I love about MIT, uh, down to its um, like uh, its tagline, which is "mens and manners," which means uh, the brains and hands. Uh, that's the way you actually learn engineering, and that idea of building, I think, is very central to me. And it's probably one of the reasons why also I enjoy building companies. I think it's tremendously exciting. Uh, one of the greatest rewards is that you start from nothing, literally, like an idea. Uh, and you build something and you give actually, uh, not only do you give meaning uh, and work actually to the team members mm -hmm. that join you, but also you help patients in the case of medical devices or, or just mm -hmm. the greater life sciences industry. We actually help patients on the line who who are in tremendous need uh, mm -hmm. of, of of release actually in some way. Uh, and and, and that's, that's tremendously rewarding actually as well. No, no, that, that that's incredible. Well, I, I just brought up a couple other points that we'll, we'll we'll circle back to. But I'm sorry, I got lost on my own question. I I, I was uh, <laughs> no, no. talking too much because I'm so uh, you have so many fascinating things. Uh, you know, I, I could talk to you for hours. But my my point was this: is you, when when asked what's the most important thing you need yes. to start a business, your answer was uh, your attitude, right? Which you know I think we all know intuitively, but coming from someone with your background and experience, that's very unusual, right? Because people, I think, from the outside would say, oh, it's because you went to Harvard or MIT or University of Tokyo, you studied in Zurich, or you've already started a company. But it really is much simpler than that. And could you speak a little bit about why you believe that to be true and, and how that has uh, you know, manifested itself throughout your career so far? <clears throat> yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right, Jay. It's really your, the can-do attitude. And I, I think, interestingly, a lot of it so, – so there is no, there is no straight line in any business. You know, even Amazon, which is probably the most successful company right now, mm -hmm. uh, you know, back in 2002, they were kind of left for dead, right? Yeah, yeah. They were about to die, uh, and yeah. now they're kind of you know, running, kind of running your whole life. So I think I think it's all about tenacity um, mm -hmm. and and managing your own psyche basically all along. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think, but in particular for people that are action driven and results driven, I think it's I think it's a great uh, you know, like it's it's a great environment. It's a great premise. I mean, the the the, the famous Einstein quote. You know, it's it's basically one percent inspiration, ninety nine percent perspiration. I think that's yeah. very very true. Uh, and, and of course, you know, I think I think here the central thing that that holds it all together is that you, in your heart of heart, believe that what you're doing actually either matters, and or is going to work, right? Because if you don't believe. Then, then of course, that's much, much harder to do that. Sometimes, of course, you don't know. I mean, it can be in the early stages, right? There may be yeah. some critical experiments you need to do to know if it's going to work. But, but at least it's a hypothesis that you believe in that, that guides mm -hmm. you. The other test is, you know, if it's a product you, that you develop, is this something that you would use yourself? I mean, if it's not, then, of course, there's a problem there, too. 
uh, I think one of the greatest things with, with Apple and, and, and Steve Jobs is that they always looked at it from the vantage point as to what they would use in their daily life and how, how would it make those, those, uh, yeah. those lives particularly easier, right? So I think that's, that's that. The other thing I wanted to say, yeah. uh, and it's often overlooked, it's, it's the, the teamwork aspect of that, right? I think one mm-hmm. of the great things of, of being a graduate of such universities is that, of course, people actually give you uh, it opens the door, but also you have access to a certain network. Uh, but you don't need that. You, I mean, just being in Boston already, I, I think, is is uh, you know, if, if you're not, uh, if you happen to be, uh, let's say, foreigner, just arrive, you know, fresh off the boat. Yeah. Uh, well, if, if you hang out in Boston, eventually you're going to meet someone from MIT or from Harvard or from Tufts yeah. or, and, and so on and so on. So I think the ecosystem sure. varies. But the, the thing is that. You cannot do it alone. You need the team. You need experts, actually. Uh, and, and, you know, I can talk more about it if, if you like. Yeah. Uh, and conversely, if you don't have the vision and you don't have the idea, well, join a great team. That's another way to get there. You know, it, it's not a one-man, one-woman's show, right? It's, it's, uh, at the end of the day, you're going to need a team. Either you're part of it or, or you're, if you're, you're the top guy or gal. Uh, yeah. makes a difference. I think, I think there's multiple ways to get to the same outcome. And it's also repeat business. Maybe one company, while well, you're part of the team, uh, very, very far down, and eventually you learn and you become the top person. So all of this, I think, is uh, there's multiple ways to get there. Sure, sure. So um, how do you, because it almost sounds like you're doing a, a, a problem set, right? But it really isn't, because when you have emotions involved, I mean, you, you, you feel the same way other people feel, right? You, you know, something doesn't work out, you have a, a bad conversation, you have a bad result, and it, you know, it, it is difficult, right? So that's why, you know, to your point, you know, you have to think it, it, it matters. But what types of things do you tell yourself? Are you, can you remember one of those dark moments in either your current company or one of your, maybe one of your, your previous ones where um, it was difficult and kind of what, what, you, what you were telling yourself as you went through it, just to show people that this is, you know, common and you have the same thing, but you just, uh, you know, um, you got through it a, a certain way. Do you remember any of those uh, particular instances? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, a couple of, of things that come back. I think, I think at the end of the day, the other thing is also how much do you deal with risk? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and how do you kind of protect the downside as well? So I'll give you a few examples. The first yeah. company I did uh, straight out of Harvard Business School together with Stan Lapidus. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the company's name uh, was Synaptics. Uh, yeah. It took us a year to raise money. I think that mm-hmm. one year, this, I was taking I think I, I was taking like two thousand dollars a month for the past for the last uh, four months. So I only made like eight thousand dollars at one year. Like I had yeah. the loan from Harvard Business School. Uh, but the one thing I was met that my wife was working, uh, mm-hmm. and we had, a, we had a bit of saving, so so she couldn't cover all our costs, but but most of it. Yeah. Uh, and I also had an offer in my back pocket to go join a, a bigger medical device company and just go from there. So mm-hmm. so I think I think it's it's the um, I think it's having uh, some form of uh, you know like a, the dogs are kind of taken care of, uh, and and in a, a, a sense, okay, well you know. If it doesn't work out, I find another way just to do something else. And I think here yeah, that's very true in, in Boston, uh, but yeah. often overlooked. You know, if if you're like in the middle of it, I think the other the other advice uh, I would give is it's kind of and so it's easy to obsess of things, but eventually it becomes unhealthy to do that. Yeah. Uh, and and really, what you want to be able to is to kind of detach yourself from the problem, in particular when it comes at night, right? And so. 
you know, maybe do some sports, do something that you know, they go take a walk or something like that. Uh, maybe go see a movie. But just, just don't think about it for some time and let mm -hmm. the magic of the night uh, and the dreams and so on kind of you know your brain it goes in, in overdrive when you sleep. Uh, and, and oftentimes you wake up in the morning, you've got the solution to your problem. I think, I think looking at things from a, a fresh perspective uh, oftentimes shows you the, the solution that may have been right there, but, but you didn't find. The other way is to keep, I mean, is to keep on trying until you find a thing that works and, and not be, I think not, not being um, demotivated or um, uh, sort of no less, uh, like, 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 or feeling very low from just being rejected or, or not mm -hmm. finding the solution and, and so on. So mm -hmm. I think, I think that's what I think is, 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 that's why I think tenacity is important. You're kind of managing your own psyche at the same time. You know, other examples, I mean, for, for example, in a, in a case of portal, uh, of sometimes in our history, a few times in our history, we had, uh, you know, funding crunch and, and, uh, and, and, you know, you, it's, it's, you kind of have this, three-dimensional chess of, of multiple moving parts uh, yeah. between existing investors, the employees that you need to manage, commitment, commitments that you have to your partners, and how do you kind of sequence things in a way that even though you have limited funds, you're still able to move forward while you try to find a solution to basically, uh, you know, get your cash crunch basically yeah. uh, solved. Yes, no, no, it's a, that, that, uh, that's an excellent perspective. Um, the, the other question I had too is that um, it's not uh, intuitively obvious because typically, you know, you know, an engineer, a mechanical engineer, and a business person, you know, they don't always um, um, uh, exist in the same person, right? You know, they, they sometimes they're, they're mutually exclusive. However, I do know at Harvard Business School, typically, you know, the number one person in the class, uh, most typically, more often than not, is an engineer. Right, because when it comes right down to it, like you said, business is is uh, very much uh, you know three dimensional chess and you know and, and problem solving. So if you have the engineering mindset, that does help. Then if you have a maybe a liberal arts background, for instance, um, did you find that to be the to be the case, or or, or was it a struggle to learn you know the you know the the case method? In uh, you know in in business school, I know you like the theory and practice at MIT. You said earlier, was that also helpful yes. in, in in the business school, or was it because it was different variables? It was and some of them are emotional, of course. That that was a little more challenging. <clears throat> oh yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big believer of the case method. Of course, I'm drinking from the cool aid here. I cannot imagine yeah. any other form of business education but the case yeah. method. And the reason is the following: because you know there is theory in business, but you know it's not very thick. And I mean, eventually. Uh, you know, unless you go, of course, in the, in a field of economics, which which can be you know very intricate and so on, you don't need a PhD in economics to do business. At the end of yeah. the day, it's really about you know a bit of strategy, uh, you know a bit of marketing, and then mostly how do you manage people? I, I think yeah. that's really <laughs> interestingly. Yep. Uh, and so, so the case method, what's great about it, it puts you in the shoes of a decision make, maker, of a leader. Um, and and it's always a problem that's not black and white. It's kind of very very gray. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's no silver bullet. It's always a trade-off. Yeah. And you have to actually be able to get information from from all different uh, sort of you know sources and kind of put together a picture very quickly. Yeah? Uh, yep. And and what's funny about the case method is that the first case you do it probably takes you two hours to prepare for it. You know, it's typically yep. twelve yep. pages of text. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe you know the ten exhibits or something like that. It, it takes a good two hours. By the yeah. time of the HBS education, you will have done five hundred cases, and yeah. you can read a case literally in ten minutes, like on the way to class. 
Yep, yep. <laughs> and exactly, yep. Okay, this is the issue, this is one way to solve it. So, so I think that's good. What's also great about the case method, and that's actually how we'll answer the, your, your questions, uh, your, your previous question, is that it also forces you to, to acknowledge and understand uh, other points of views. And I think, I think, I'm actually not sure that engineering is the kind of golden path to do business, actually. I think what Harvard mm -hmm. Business School is really, really good at, and all, of course, the, the, great, the great business schools, they're able to select people from all walks of life that mm -hmm. have done extraordinarily well, and they really bring a different view to the table. And I think mm -hmm. on the contrary, uh, my experience throughout the engineering school was that we kind of were all the same. And also, and this is maybe not so true anymore, this yeah. aspect of collaboration was completely overlooked actually as well. Uh, ah. that, that has changed now in engineering school, but, but during my sure. days, uh, yeah. very rarely did you have any group project. It was, hey, you know, you went to class, you learned, you learned uh, you know, some new theory, you had some mm -hmm. practice, and then there's an exam, and you probably compete with everyone else for the exam. Uh, so it ends up being a very insular, actually, uh, study. Yep. This is the, uh, the H my HBF experience has been actually quite the country. Different walks of life. We had people from the NFL. We had someone who was on the Olympic water polo women's team. Oh, wow. Uh, we had a lot of people <laughs> from the military who had, who had yep. fought in Iraq. Uh, who, sure. Who, who now, like, breathing and leaving leadership. Unbelievable, right? And so everyone had something really, really critical uh, to bring to the table and a different point of view too. And so I, so I think I think that there's no there's no recipe. I think uh, mm -hmm. uh, it all shapes and form. I think I think can lead to can lead to uh, great success in, in business. No, interesting, interesting. Well, and you touched on one thing too that I think you know is also critical. You know, um, and that you know how managing people is, is so important. And you know, doing problem sets at the MIT isn't necessarily going to help you, particularly if there's not a lot of collaboration, right? So, how did you, how were you able to to pick that up so quickly? Because even at Harvard Business School, in the case method, you of course you have to, you know, you have to interact with your with your colleagues, and that, that that's important. And and if you're not good at that, then it's going to really impact not only you but your team, right? So you have to learn that very quickly. But when you get in a you know in a company situation, if somebody's reporting to Patrick. That's very, very different than anything you've ever read before, right? Now you're you're dealing with a whole different set of variables, but it sounds like you made that transition very easily, or or, or did you? I, I'm not sure how that was, but it seems like it sure, was sure. everything kind of yep. built. Was was that a natural, or was that something that was another whole, you know, kind of graduate class you had to take once you had you know people reporting to you? <clears throat> I so I think I think this you, you you have to learn by practice. I think I think, and, and so there's a couple of of points I want to. I think the first one yeah. is. There was a, um, there's a great exercise we, we did in, in, uh, in business school, which is called the survival or Arctic survival or something like that. Imagine yeah. the, you're, on a, you're on a plane, the plane crashes, uh, you and a few others are survivors. There are like 12 items in the plane. You have to rank order them in, in, um, mm -hmm. um, in how you think it's going to help you surviving. And the key yeah. interesting thing is that the teams that did better are the ones that actually listen to each other, like, like unequivocal uh, yeah. versus... I think the engineering mindset here would have been, hey, you know, uh, I'm the engineer, I should know better, and yeah. I have an idea, I'm not going to listen to anyone else. So, so I think that was a key defining, I think for me personally, that was a key defining thing. Um, yeah. and, and, I think, and I think that kind of highlighted to me that collaboration goes way, way deeper than actually uh, just being friendly with people. And I'm a friendly guy. <laughs> yeah. So I think, right, there's really... And so, and that's kind of how also it's guided my view on how we build companies. So 
So really, it, it starts, of course, with an idea. Hopefully, the idea is good. Hopefully, it's a big market. Hopefully, you can protect it. Right? Like, like everything we discussed so far. Uh, but then you need experts, right? Uh, you need someone who's going to help you, uh, who's going to be your VP of engineering to kind of you know, build the whole thing. You need a VP of manufacturing to make it. You need a, so so, it's it's unthinkable that someone straight out of school actually would have enough experience. So typically you end up actually needing experts, and you kind of need to trust them implicitly. Uh, yeah. This is the other thing, and I think I think the uh, you know this the, the concept of division of labor is is very central. But also underlying it is the notion that, okay, you do, I do my part, you do your part, and I'm going to trust you doing your part because you're also going to trust me doing my part. Right? And I think so that's how it works. And the one thing that puts it all together, uh, which I think is very central, is what is the vision that we have for this, this company and what's our mission today? Right? And I think, I think that's the central thing, the central glue that, that kind of brings it all together in how you're able to work towards, towards one goal. Because if any issue happens, you always go back to the mission. Okay, is this relevant to the mission? Yes mm-hmm. or no? Because if it's not, we shouldn't be even talking about it. And I think those things, those kind of very high-level you know, guidelines, they actually are yeah. tremendously, tremendously helpful. So, for example, here at Portal, in all of, all of our conference room, we have the vision, which is a needle-free world, and we have our mission, which is to improve the life of patients who are on life-changing therapies. So, so that is always remembered, uh, and mm-hmm. we always go back to it if we we hit some form of challenge. Mm-hmm. No, no, that uh, that's fascinating, and that's something that you learned in business school. You Correct, took that yes. direct application. Okay, interesting. So, how did you learn kind of the the interpersonal skills? Because there's there's you know, or did you have leadership experience or play sports or things like that where you had to had to use those skills before you actually started your your first company did you have any uh, experience in that uh, before no not really I, th- I think it's really hard i think i think yeah. i think you make mistakes and, and hopefully you learn from them you know i think yeah. i think the, 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 the most important thing is um you might be particularly if you're a young founder uh, you might be dealing with um, you, you, may, you may have people on your team who have, uh, of course, a lot of experience, but also a lot of seniorities. Those folks may have sensitivities on things like, you know, perhaps status, perhaps compensation, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps a particular way to approach things. I think if you're not able to put yourself in their shoes and uh, and, and and kind of look at things. Uh, not only from Juventus, but from theirs, uh, you can end up hurting people without even knowing it, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Or conversely, uh, let's say if, if if we deal with our board, uh, and, or if we deal with the media, for, for that matter, I think you always have to think about, well, how is it going to be perceived if you're coming at it from this from this side, or if you're coming at it from, like, no side, if it's like, uh, sort of, you know, like, uh, if you never have, have heard of the concept. I think this... Uh, this unintended interpretation or unintended consequences yep. is always something that have, you have to worry. And I, I think unless you specifically uh, think about it or, and, and typically you learn by mistakes for those, uh, and it's, mm-hmm. it's front and center, uh, then, then, you know, it's, it's, it's eventually it's going gonna, it's gonna to have an impact on someone. So I think that's the way to do it. At, at the end of the day, you, you learn from those mistakes. I've made uh, so many of them, you know, uh, hurting people with no intention. Uh, sure, sure. And, uh, and, and or saying something that was not, um, how to say that, uh, that was not the, the typical norm and something like that. So, so I think I think you have to, um, you. it's okay to make mistakes. It's also okay to acknowledge that you've made a mistake. 
uh, perhaps even apologize if, if, it, if it was a big mistake and then move on. Uh, yeah. You know, I think I think so. Let me give you another example, which actually, I think that 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 concept of making mistakes is important. So we emphasize with our young engineers that it's okay to make mistakes because, in fact, you're going to learn something in your design, yeah. and that's yeah. going to help the next. And and it's very iterative. There is no one thing that you do that is uh, in in engineering that is not iterative. Uh, and if it is not iterative, then it's probably going to take you way longer, and it's not going to work at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's um, uh, it's interesting because I I think you know when you're the CEO, um, a lot of people take the uh, position that you know your job is to tell everyone what to do, right? And if you're telling everyone what to do, who's doing the job? You or them, right? So you need to delegate. You need to let them do it. If you're gonna let them do it, you need to let them make mistakes, right? Uh, uh, So, uh, but but you know it's quite a challenge. So I think companies they're driven by fear from the top down. They just don't work. At some point, Correct. right? And particularly if it's a small company, it just be, you can't keep replacing people. So it sounds like you you found a, a really good a really good balance. Um, you know, and some of this, you, of Absolutely. course, you need to, like like you're saying, you need to learn by experience. But some of it, you know, you need to you need to know ahead of time because you can't keep stubbing your toe because you're gonna you know you're 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 gonna lose uh, credibility. So I have to think that you must have had some mentors along the way. Is there anyone in particular that you actually had a relationship or you relied on or did you have like virtual mentors like are there people that you studied or read that you found particularly inspiring and helpful because uh, that's for instance that's why i read a lot of biographies so i i can like like warren buffett i can, I can learn from someone else's mistakes i don't have to make them myself yes. you know but i don't know how how you how you approach that but um so i, yeah. I was very fortunate as i mentioned that when we started synaptics kind of stand with the ceo i was i was uh, you know the, the youngest guy on on the founding team mm-hmm. um and he kind of showed me the method, you know, what you need to do when. And when yeah. we started Portal, I basically applied the method, the method oh. literally step by step. So I was very lucky in that. I think I was always also very interested to learn from others through books, you know, like reading biographies and, and, yeah. and kind of wondering, well, how did they do that? And, and what was the challenge? At the same time, too, you know, I mean, history never repeats itself, I guess. And so what sure. may have happened there may not be fully applicable. But nonetheless, you can see how they how they uh, how they dealt with that situation, and it gives you ideas. But it kind of gives mm-hmm. you a sense of possibilities in principle. Oh, yeah, you could do it this way. It's very similar if you think of it to the case method as well, right? I think at the end of the day, uh, the great thing about the case method is that typically there's an answer, or not an answer, but there is a, a what happened uh, yep. gets told, and so at least you know one path. Of yep. course, it's not an answer because it could have been multiple multiple paths. Uh, sure, so sure. I think so. At the same time. Uh, I mean, just doing is is important, and and you can be uh, you know in your armchair for a long time. At the end of the day, if you don't go out and try, you just don't know. And I, th- I think I think there is also that that active engagement and and actively doing is is is, is also the other way that that you learn. Um, mm-hmm. And in some course, of course, sometimes I mean, you 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 as as you grow in your career and 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 so on, uh, you collect uh, experts, and and invariably they end up being mentors. So if for some reason uh, a nice thing, I think, particularly here in the Boston area, if there's a particular problem that you have, there's probably someone that you can call. Uh, and if, if it's not the direct answer that you 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 find, that person probably knows who you need, who mm-hmm. else you need to call, and so on. Right? Mm-hmm. I think I think if, if you're able to really um, kind of distill what the problem is, then someone mm-hmm. can I think I think will be willing to help you with that. Um, and, and so I, th- I think that's that's that. But uh, yeah, I think I think. 
um, you know, a lot of it, you don't have to know your mentors physically. They can be mentors that are in books. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, 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 uh, it's an interesting thing. Conversely, I think the internet also can, can actually also shine light on a lot, on, on a lot of solutions that have been, uh, have been tried over the years. Sure, sure. Problems. Yeah, no, no, that's great. Uh, that's great perspective. So what else would you tell somebody, you know, uh, or what would you tell your, your younger self when you're leaving, you know, graduate school or you're trying to start a company? Did you see, um, are there any particular mistakes you think people should be, you know, looking out for to make, or there certain things that they should, they should make sure that they do as they're, as they're doing this? Cause, um, I, I think that uh, uh, you know everybody wants to be the CEO and the boss, but uh, you know reality yes, is, is very different than 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 kind of the outcome. You know, ten years down the road, right? You know, the, the beginning yeah, is, is yeah. tough. What, what, what yes. advice would you have for someone? <clears throat> I think I think it's okay not to be the CEO uh, straight when you get come out of school. In fact, in fact, if and here there's, there's a bit of serendipity. I think that that's associated uh, with that. But if yeah. you can join a great team at a great company and learn for a few years, you're basically compressing, uh, you can compress a lot of years in learning in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, so here it's really, so for example, if you were part of, um, I don't know, what, what's a good example? I mean, if you like pick your favorite startup, let's say, yeah. um, you know, I mean, I don't know, let's say if you were part of Amazon in the early days, yeah. Uh, under Jeff Bezos, and, and imagine it had gone already through a few rounds of funding. Maybe it's at the CBC funding or something like that. Where mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a team with solid experts that that are mm-hmm. on the team who have done it before and so on. That's an amazing environment to be in. And and I think, as you said yourself, when you're in a startup, you end up doing actually a lot of uh, a lot of different jobs, actually left and right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I think it's uh, it, it's 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 Easy to theorize, uh, theorize or theorize, I guess, on it. Uh, but but at the end of the day, if you can find the highest rate of learning, um, like straight when you're done with school, I think that's the greatest thing you can do. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I wish, I wish, uh, I wish I had known how little I knew when I started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't we all, right? <laughs> right? It's yeah, unbelievable. yeah. And in fact, even my dad kind of warned me because he said, "No, but uh, you have no idea of the uh, it's French, the enterprise, which is like the, the business yeah. world, like the, the enterprise. Yeah. You have no idea interrelational, uh, interpersonal relationship, and all that stuff. What how things are structured? And I said, blah blah blah. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, it cannot be cannot be that hard, right? Sure, uh, sure. But it's, it's so I think I think it's true. I think I think a lot of uh, I, I think it was true for me. It's true for a lot of young graduates." Um, they they um, they think they know but have no idea, and often sometimes it actually works out. I mean, uh, if you look at Drew Houston, who started Dropbox, pretty much mm-hmm. straight out of MIT. I think uh, uh, may even have dropped dropped off actually out of MIT, and uh, did phenomenally well. But I think there's only a handful of those folks that that really yeah. do that. I think I think if you can get high rate of learning, and then you know establish yourself a bit as a um, uh, uh, I would tell as, as a mini expert in a particular field, then you can go from there. You also will know uh, if you have no, it's no clear thing that you want to work on. You may actually realize from there where the opportunity are within that industry. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that's why Johnny. So it's a, it's a smallish company, not a big company, but where you know you're inspired by the mission, you like the people, and you feel you're going to learn. Uh, and and if you don't learn, or if you're not mentored. 
you know, I think just by being there already, there's some learning that will happen. We just need to be active learning and people, there's no like course that needs to be set up within that, that company and so on. So I think, yeah. I think that's that. The other thing I would say, I, I see that with a lot of young folks that I mentor is that um, there's some that want to start companies or be more entrepreneurial side, but then they end up freezing because they don't want to take the risk. Yeah. Uh, and so I think there's two ways to look at it. One is that, well, maybe taking risk is something that makes you comfortable and, and maybe we should just deal with that. And, and maybe it's okay if you stay, if you stay longer, you know, what, in what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, the other way to deal with it is, it's like, you know, jumping in a cold pool. Uh, it's not comfortable, but eventually it's great. You know, if you imagine you, you're in Walden Pond, for example, it's a bit yeah. chilly when you get in, but then it's wonderful once you're there. That's yeah. the other way. Just, 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 just start, you know, there's no, uh, reason to theorize thing and just, just go in you know just start do and keep doing it <laughs> yep yep yeah well that's the key right is just keep uh keep moving forward that you know a lot of people get paralyzed and don't take action and that uh that's right that's and that right. kills that kills a lot of businesses well this has been fascinating i, I want to make sure is is there any any last uh last comments or any other bit of uh, information that you want to make sure people uh uh, people know. I think we've we've touched on a on a ton of things, but I, I want to be respectful of your time because I could probably talk another couple hours. But um, it's been great, Jay. No, yeah. really enjoyed your questions. Very very good questions. Very insightful. Uh, I think I think probably on on a lot of people's mind actually as well as as they start to yeah. think. You know, how how did one do do that? I, I would say that every individual has a he or she has a different story, right? And I think there's yeah. multiple multiple ways to get there. What makes America great is that. Uh, you know, it's results driven. You could be from Harvard, you could be from University of Nowhere, or yeah. you can have, have zero university. You could yeah. you can still rise within within organization within the, the, the uh, within the business world. Uh, sure. You know, Oprah, for example, uh, you know the, uh, the the famous uh, media person. I mean, she started out of nowhere with tremendous um, uh, you know challenges on the on mm. from the family side and so I mean, really like bad bad stuff and now she's on top of the world so, so I think that's what makes yeah. America great and and uh, um, the, the one thing I would say you cannot do it alone though I, th I think that's that's the important thing it may mm. be cool these days to be an entrepreneur and, and maybe it yeah. works out uh, but also you cannot do it alone so at the, at the end of the day it's also cool to actually start with someone else right in fact it's yeah. more fun to start with someone else yeah. at least you're not yeah. lonely at home Eating some ramen, what is sure. Right, right, right. And plus, we're we're all we're all better when we when we get you know more information, right? We're all better yes. uh, collectively. You know, I don't know that's any right. person that's smarter than you know 100, right? It just doesn't happen. That's right. Uh, well, well, great. Well, 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 someone you know is inspired by um, by what you've been saying, or or wants to learn more about uh, about Portal, or just wants to say hello. What, what is the best way for people to uh, uh, to reach you, Patrick? <clears throat> Absolutely. They can reach out to me anytime. Uh, yeah. My email address is super easy to figure out. It's basically my first name uh, dot mm -hmm. my last name at portalinstruments.com. So patrick.equitil okay. at portalinstruments.com. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to reach and happy to you know, take the conversation further if there's interest. And uh, we're always looking for good people. We're always hiring. Uh, if, if folks want to work on cutting edge technology and have fun at the same time, uh, in a great collegial environment, uh, they can they should come and, and, and talk to us. Wow, no, that's uh, that's fantastic, and uh, I'm sure you'll uh, motivate a lot of people to do uh, to do just that. So, um, thank you again, and uh, thank you everyone for listening to Find a Unique Value, and we look forward to sharing our next guest with you soon. And bye for now. The Find a Unique Value podcast is sponsored by Elliott Asset Management. 
We help successful entrepreneurs create wealth outside of their business. To discover the five ways successful entrepreneurs become intelligent investors and grow wealth beyond their business, visit ElliotM.com slash webinar.